Welcome to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. In this podcast, there'll be insights around three key areas to mastering the game of life. Purpose, prosperity, philanthropy. Your host, Paul Lowe, the third sector mentor, is the founder of Hearts Global CIC, which along with many other of his charitable commitments, has been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from disadvantaged communities. Author of Mastering the Game of Life, From Pain to Purpose, and Speaking from Our Hearts books. Introducing your host, Paul Lowe. A very warm welcome, everyone. It's Paul Lowe here. Many thanks for listening in to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast, where I'd like to talk to you about coaching and mentoring, and more specifically, share some tips from a world-leading expert in the field of peak performance. At this point, it's my absolute pleasure to introduce Jim Britt, an internationally recognised leader in the field of peak performance and personal empowerment training. Jim is an author of 13 best-selling books and has presented seminars throughout the world, totaling over 1 million people from all walks of life. Jim has served as a success counsellor to over 300 corporations worldwide and also coached and mentored Anton Robbins for the first five years in business. Jim, a very warm welcome to you and sincere gratitude for taking the time to share with us some of your extremely powerful insights. Something I can personally vouch for having significantly benefited firsthand from your mentorship. But before deep diving into these amazing insights, I'd just like to start, Jim, if I may, by asking a few few questions that will get the audience the chance to, you know, to get an insight into Jim the man, so to speak. What's your favourite record, Jim, or your favourite piece of music and why? Well, <clears throat> well that's a good question. I, I don't... Uh... Personally, right now, don't listen to a lot of music. I like uh, like if I'm in my in my car driving. Uh, I like the quiet times, so I don't. I never turn on the radio, so I don't listen to much music. But if I think back, you know, some of my my favorite well, actually was Elvis because um, uh, it kind of takes me back to my uh, my childhood, and uh, so I would say that uh, that's probably. Um, Probably one of my favorite uh, artists. Okay. And was there a particular track of Elvis's, uh, Jim? Was you, was you more sort of drawn towards his ballads or his rock and roll? Yeah, probably some of his ballads. Actually, some of all of it. But um, uh, I know I saw a movie just uh, this weekend, and and, one, and they played one of Elvis's um, can't, help, can't, can't Help Falling in Love With You. And I always thought that was a great, uh, great piece of music. Yeah, summarizes human nature, doesn't it? So what about your favorite book, Jim? I mean, obviously, as the author of uh, 13 bestsellers, you, you know, you're, you're fairly au fait, as I can testify, being in the Change Book 9 series uh, around books. So what about your favorite book? Well, I'd have to say that uh, the one that had the most impact on me, uh, well, probably three books, the first one would be the the first book I wrote because <clears throat> Rings of Truth because um, writing that book probably had uh, more impact on my life than anything I've ever done because it's my my story and um, you know what I've what I've learned over the years what I've gone through to to learn those things so um, that would be uh, that would be one of my favorites but. Prior to that, the book that changed my life was a book called uh, Three Magic Words by U.S. Anderson, a uh, great book written in the 50s. Uh, you still find it in bookstores everywhere. Um, and then in addition to that would be The Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, which uh, changed some of my views of how I looked at my life and looked at the world. Three magic words. I've made a note of that, Jim, and there's a reason I've made a note of that. We'll come to that in a bit. Thank you. What about films, Jim? Is there anything film-wise that um, that stays with you, that stayed with you over the years? Um, no, not really. I mean, I I, uh, I, I love movies. Uh, I usually go to one about every week. Um, but I, you know, I, I go there to be entertained. I mean, yeah, there's been lots of lots of great movies out with a message as well, but uh, um, nothing that really uh, 
that I can think of that stands out. But, uh, you know, I like action movies, 007s, you know, that type of movie. Mm. Um, I like to be entertained. Uh, so uh, I, I usually appreciate most all movies. I've seen some that, uh, that I wouldn't recommend, but I've seen a lot of them that I thought were very entertaining, and um, I enjoyed uh, uh, going to them. Mm. Okay. So on the theme then, Jim, of inspirational books, films, music, Who's the most inspiring person you've ever met? Hmm. <clears throat> well, um, I think first of all would be the person in the mirror <laughs> because uh, uh, let's see, the most inspiring I ever met. You know, I spent, uh, well, one of my, one of my very close friends uh, starting in 19, around 1970 was uh, Jim Rohn. And of course, Jim has um, uh, passed away, but he's he was one of the most uh, inspiring speakers and um, you know personal development experts out there, and most quoted person I think. Um, uh, but Jim and I were very close friends for about uh, forty years prior to his passing, and um, and we also spent 10, 10 years together in business. Um, and I think, uh, even though I never really looked at Jim as a mentor, uh, we kind of, uh, we kind of, kind of get a give and take on, on both sides. You know, I helped get his name out there and, and he got me involved basically in the personal development field. So, um, Jim was very inspiring. Uh, his mentor, uh, Bill Bailey was, really one that was responsible for having a major impact on my life uh, at an early age of 22, just from a talk that he did that I was sitting in on. Um, very inspiring. Um, you know, I've met a few billionaires, um, Bill Bartman, who recently passed away, but Bill was the 20, 25th richest man in America, uh, went from borrowing $14,000 to uh, being worth you know, multi-billions of dollars. So, um, you know, it was pretty inspiring uh, hearing his story and, and knowing him. Uh, I'm just, just getting ready to do um, a collaborative book series for the uh, network marketing industry with, um, with Kevin Harrington of Shark Tank. Uh, pretty inspiring story, what he's done with his life. Um, so, you know, a few people, I, you know, I couldn't pin anyone down to say that was the most inspiring, but I've met a lot of inspiring, uh, a lot of people that have inspired me just from their stories and what they've done and the example that they've set and the people they've helped. Mm, okay. So in terms of how you ended up, Jim, as a peak performance and personal empowerment practitioner, was that, I mean, you've alluded to obviously Jim Rohn, was Jim the sole driver behind that uh you know how, how did you end up there how did you end up on this uh this road that you've traveled very very significantly now well it's 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 kind of interesting because a lot of people say well did you did you plan to do this was this your your life's ambition and and i would say no i don't i don't really know how i got here in a, in, a, in one sense i mean when i connect the dots backwards i see how i got here but uh you know i grew up in pretty much in poverty. I, uh, you know, we were very po poor, I would say. We had, we had food on the table, but very little, enough to survive. We had a lot of love in our family. Uh, my first job was picking cotton, which is a very, very difficult job. That was at six years old. I guess I was a child laborer, but uh, all children back then did the same thing. Uh, growing up in Oklahoma, we had to do it to survive. And uh, I learned from that, though, that working hard uh, was not going to get me ahead in life. And so I went on from there and uh, dropped out of high school in the 10th grade. Um, was not a very good student at all. I mean, my, my grades that I had were D's and F's, basically. And then um, went to work in a, in a pumping uh, gas in a, in, a, in a gas station. Uh, worked there for about a year and a half. And, and then my dream job was working in the factory on the assembly line. Um, uh, assembling uh, telephone switchboards. So if you ever got a wrong number, it was probably my fault. I probably <laughs> wired it incorrectly. But uh, I worked there for a few years on the assembly line. And again, uh, both of those jobs uh, taught me that working hard and working 40-hour a week was not going to get me ahead in life. 
and didn't know what I was going to do. No business, no business background, no money, no, you know, nothing. And, um, uh, you know, no college degree or anything like that. So I always dreamed of having some kind of management job that, that what chance did I have? And somebody invited me one night to go to a, uh, a meeting and uh, they unfolded a business opportunity and um, I decided to take advantage of it. And uh, it, I had $9 in the bank, uh, no way to get any money, uh, but it cost $4,000 to, to get involved in that business. And back then, $4,000 was a lot of money. I mean, it was more than I was earning in a year. And, uh, but I said yes, and I went to 23 banks and loan companies before one finally took a chance on me and loaned me $4,000. I started in that business. My first year, I lost everything I had. My home, my, my vehicles, uh, my furniture, everything was, was uh, taken from me. And, but the only thing they didn't get was my determination, my tenacity. Uh, I would not quit. And as a result of that, I probably don't have time on this interview, but a series of what I would consider miracles took place. And the first one was uh, somebody came by and sat with me for about two hours and taught me what I should be doing in my business, what I was doing wrong, what I needed to be doing, gave me a few ideas for about two hours. And my business took off like a rocket. The next month, I earned $2,600, then it went to $6,000, then it went to $12,000, then it went to uh, and within six months, it was 40000 a month, and it just kept going from there. My second year in business, I earned almost a million bucks. So, um, taught me that things can happen pretty fast if you're doing the right things and you're practicing those things every day. Uh, the one thing I got good at my first year was talking to people. Uh, I just was doing it incorrectly. <laughs> and, and my next year, I figured out how to do it. So, that's where I met Jim Rohn. Uh, that company eventually went out of business and went off international, and um, and Jim and I connected up, and he invited me to join the seminar business, helping him promote seminars of him. And so that's how I got started. I started promoting Jim Rohn, and that evolved into me speaking, uh, doing a lot of presentations, a lot of workshops, a lot of things, initially based on Jim's material, but um, but later started to develop you know, my own philosophies. And that's how I got into the business. Um, kind of a uh, long story, but we, in a 10-year period, Jim and I put over a million people through seminars, um, and ma mainly in the state of California and Arizona. That's how I got started, and it, I got hooked on it, and uh, I've been doing it ever since. I've probably, to date, had a couple million people go through my events, and um so, um, been a good business for me. Excellent. One of the questions I get asked quite a, quite a lot, Jim, is people say, well, what's the difference between coaching and mentoring? What would be your answer on that? Well, uh, to me, mentoring might be just uh, somebody that you, you look up to, that you want to emulate, that, um, that you, you may have a connection with, that you can talk to on occasion. Um, and and learn from their example you know maybe maybe have lunch with them occasionally something like that coaching on the other hand is is more of um you know finding out what people are dealing with what their blocks are um helping them to uh discover those blocks if they don't know what they are that's holding them back in life whether it be personally or financially or whatever and uh and then um holding them accountable to make changes in their life. So coaching is more of a hands-on uh, daily, weekly, monthly, you know, however you set it up, but some, some type of uh, system that you set up to work with people to help them get the breakthroughs in their life. Yeah. And what about coaching and therapy, Jim? What's, what's your take on that? How do you view that difference? Coaching and therapy? Yes. Well, a lot of what I do kind of seems like therapy because – you know, people, we're, we're all, uh, you've probably heard the term, uh, that person is set in their ways. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of a universal term. Uh, they're set in their ways and they're not, they're not going to change. Well, we're all set in our ways and that's our personalities. Uh, the problem is sometimes we're set in our ways 
but our ways aren't getting us where we want to go. So we need to change our ways. The problem that lies there is that a lot of people don't know how to do that. In fact, most people don't know how to do it. Otherwise, they would make changes. They know that they'd like to accomplish more, have a better relationship, have better health, whatever it might be that they want in their life, but they have no clue as to what's holding them back, what's stopping them from doing that. They can watch other people doing it right alongside them, you know, somebody earning more money, somebody having a nice relationship, somebody losing weight, but yet something holds them back. It's because they're set in their ways. They're actually, uh, the term I use is they're addicted. They, they, they are addicted just like being addicted to a drug. Um, and, you know, you know that, that a drug addict can stop uh, using drugs, but then after a while they go, well, maybe just a little bit, you know, and then, and then they'll try a little bit and then they're back on it again. Uh, so uh, unless, unless they've got some way to break through what's causing them to do that in the first place. So I look at emotional healing and the things that are, p- people are hanging on to, you know, if you've had a, if you've had a, uh, a bad relationship, could that affect your business? And the answer is yes. Could it affect you financially? Could financially, being financially um, strapped, could that, could that affect your relationship? Could it affect your health? Everything interacts. So if you can find a, a major uh, issue that people are dealing with and help them to break that addictive cycle, um, because a cycle goes, you have an experience in your life, you start to, you know, a negative experience, for example, and you start to think that maybe that's the way life is. Before long, you start to believe that that's the way life is. And whatever you believe, you always act upon. Yeah. In fact, what we believe to be true, we will go to almost any extreme to uh, prove to ourselves and the outside world that what we believe is true. Even though we want to change it, we'll still go uh, get an end result so that you can say, see, I told you the world is, is a difficult place or everybody's mean and ugly or, or money's hard to earn or relationships hard to keep together. We'll go and, and prove to ourselves and the outside world that what we believe is true. Well, if you act upon that belief, which we do daily, then you'll create another result. And that result will strengthen the initial experience. So you're in this cycle going around and around and around, not knowing you're in it, not knowing how to get out of it. So, uh, you know, to me, uh, the, the, the therapeutic approach is to help people break that cycle. And I, I've done it in 20 minutes after somebody's been in counseling for 20 years, uh, simply knowing where to enter that cycle and how to break it. And when people see it and, and get a taste of it, all of that starts to unravel and their life starts to change. And as you say, Jim, it's knowing where to go in at that point, because certainly from the work I do, there is so much defensiveness there about, you know, one of the cliches I get thrown back at me, ah, oh, yeah, but better the devil you know. Do you know, it might be painful, but at least I can manage it. Well, can you? Because as you yeah. say, it knocks, it has that knock-on effect, doesn't it, into not just the, you know, what the particular angle may be, i.e. relationships, but every other thing. I, I, I liken it to dropping a, a pebble in a pond. It just ripples, and before you know where you are, um, you know, those ripples reverberate, and there's major problems that just go on and on and on. And I can certainly, as, as I'm sure we all can, um, testify that, that that dominated the biggest part of, of my life. Yeah. Well, you know, it, the reason people don't change is that even when they see the opportunity to change, um, it requires experiencing a little bit of pain uh, to get to get through that, break through that cycle. Um, and people weigh out the pain of changing versus the pain of staying where they are. And and most people would rather sink back into what they're comfortable with and say, "Well, I can just manage this," versus confronting that pain and breaking through it. Um, I mean, I have had so many people that are afraid to let go because they're afraid of what will be there if they let go or, or of who they will become if they let go because they're so accustomed are and suffering with the pain that they have that they're afraid to let go. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's interesting, you know, what we, what we go through, but you know, I, we, we become so accustomed to it. Um, 
you know, I, I kind of use the example of, a, of driving an automobile. You know, when you first get on the road to drive, um, you think all there is is to hold it between the lines. Well, that's the easy part. Uh, you got you to watch all those other vehicles coming at you and the stop signs and the red lights and, the, you know, the speed limit and the car behind you and the car in front of you and the car beside you and all of those things. But eventually, we become addicted to it. Basically, we, we adapt and, and we get in our automobile and take off and we don't even think about it. We don't think about, I mean, we know we see a stop sign, but we don't, we don't think about any of the stuff going on around us. We're just aware of it. And uh, the same way with, um, with our emotions and our addictions is that we, we just become accustomed to it. And that's, that's who we are and what we do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What advice, Jim, would you give to would-be coaches as they take those first tentative steps? Uh, well, um, you know, I, I, I do my coaching based on experience. And, um, you know, the biggest thing I think in coaching is, is uh, to ask questions and listen. Uh, and and if you truly, truly listen, not not just to the words that are being said by the person you're coaching, but the meaning behind those. Um, because if you really, if you really think about it, um, well, I discovered many years ago that the, the, the two, two things that control all of that, uh, that addiction and those negative emotions and things are the need for approval and the need to be in control. One of those two. And if you look at anything that's not working in your life, you can always track it back to either a need for approval or a need to be in control. Example, uh, you got a, let's say a, a woman and a man are together in a relationship and the man beats the woman. And it can happen the other way around too. I've seen it. So, uh, but it's an abusive relationship, uh, but yet they stay in it or they keep, they keep uh, repeating that cycle and going into another one. Um, well, if you really look at it, it's a, it's a perfect relationship. The, the person beating up the other one uh, wants to be in control. And the one getting beat up wants the attention. So it's a perfect relationship. However, uh, the one getting beat up doesn't like it, but yet they like the attention. And then, so let's say the woman gets beat up. She runs a guy off. And, and he, he takes off, well, calls back in a day or something like that and say, please, can, well, can I come back? I'll never do this again. And, I mean, it, it happens over and over and over. And the woman now is in control. Okay, I'll bring you back. But if this ever happens again, you're out of here. And then it, he comes back a few days, pretty soon he's beating her up again. Um, so if a person, I, I always look at those two needs and um, – and if a person, let's say, has a need for approval, then if they can break that cycle and let go of their need for approval, then that relationship either improves or, or it breaks up. Uh, either way, it's better than what it is. So always listen and listen intently to what people are saying, not just the words that they're using so that you understand the true meaning. Um, but that's, you know, I let people discover their own problems. I don't I don't tell them what their problems are. Um, you know, I'll let them discover whether they have a need for approval or control or whatever it may be. Uh, I want them to discover that. So to me, that's the key to effective coaching is to ask questions, listen, and, and guide people to discover their own needs. Yeah. So why, Jim, from your perspective, why do you think anyone should ever consider investing in a coach or a mentor? So why would, why would they consider being a coach? Uh, no, why would they consider investing in a coach or a mentor? Oh, well, um, uh, well, I, I would say that uh, it's, it's very difficult for a person to, to make changes without somebody help, uh, guiding them. And it doesn't mean it's impossible, but, uh, you know, I, I did myself. Uh, I went through a time in my life. Um, that uh, I actually quit my profession after I had trained about 400,000 people simply because I, I, w I thought I was happy, but I wasn't. And 
I had a broken relationship, gone through a divorce, had two children living in another part of the country, and I'm living on top of the hill all by myself, and I thought I was happy. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people live, their, live out their entire life that way, um, not realizing that, uh, that there's something missing in their lives. So, coaching, I would say find somebody that's done what, what you want to do or that can guide you to that end result. And, um, you know, you don't want to hire a bricklayer to cut your diamonds. And you don't want to hire, hire uh, a broke person to tell you how to make money. You know, so you want to you want to look for the coach based on the need that you have. But I think I think coaching is uh, is very important as long as you're being coached by somebody that knows what they're doing. Mm. Okay, life's purpose, Jim. Why why do we need a life's purpose in, in our lives? Well, you know that's a that's a question I get. Um, Probably the, 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 that question I get more than anything else. How do I know what my purpose is in life? Mm. And it's a real simple answer. Uh, your purpose is whatever you're doing right now. Because it can't be anything else than what you're doing right now. And what I mean by that is if you're going through something right now, that's your purpose in life. And once you work through that, you'll get to another level. Because every life level, every income level, uh, requires a different you. And the you that you are now, you've got to work through that you to become a different you. In other words, you've got to reinvent yourself to, to move to the next level. So, um, I, and, and, you know, during that time, you also find something that you're, you're passionate about. Uh, you know, I'm passionate about uh, uh, personal development, uh, helping other people. Uh, work through their their issues. Um, when I write a book, I'm always thinking about the reader and what they're going to get out of it, not just what I'm writing about. But I want to make make sure that every page has got something that's uh, potentially impacting for the reader. Um, so, you know, it's it's um, uh, you know pa- passion and purpose to me probably are two different things. What you're passionate about. Um, but the purpose uh, to me is, is going to each life level, um, working through where you are now to get to the next life level. So you look, you look at where you are now, where you want to go and your purpose is to make changes to get there. That's the way I see it. Okay. So in terms of, um, if we didn't have a purpose then Jim, if we were just meandering, I don't know, day to day, moment to moment, like a ship just drifting in the sea. Um, it's kind of how I um, envisage it. So why would we actually need some kind of purpose? I take on board your point, what you've said there about, you know, it's here and now in the moment, what we're doing, because that's that's who we are, that's where we are. And, you know, every step is another step. I absolutely understand that. But what I'm saying is, I suppose, and it's kind of tied into vision, um, you know, we've got a we've got a beacon, we've got something that we're drawn towards, it keeps us... I don't know, to use your words, we're passionate about it. Um, and it keeps us on track when, you know, it's very easy because um, life does get in the way if we allow it to. Um, so that's why I asked the question, Jim, why do we need a purpose? Well, um, I, I, think, uh, I think everybody should have a purpose in life. Um, Uh, I think there's a lot of people that don't think that they do. Uh, Like you say, they're just kind of drifting through life moment to moment, not thinking about uh, more, more thinking about survival uh, than, than anything else. And, um, but I think to change uh, people have, but that purpose is probably triggered by a desire for change. Now, you know, a lot of people, would say they desire change. You could probably walk out on the street corner and ask a thousand people if they would desire to have more in their life, to earn more, to travel more, to become more, you know what? And almost everybody would say yes. But how many people are going to actually make that change? Uh, very few. Yeah. Um, uh, because they're, they're more comfortable just drifting through life and getting up and having breakfast and 
and going to work and coming home and having a drink and watching TV and going to bed. But I think, you know, the, the, the problem is that most people have a desire, but they don't take it to the next level and they don't make a decision to change. And, and that's, that's really what, you know, can create that purpose in your life once you've decided. And, and maybe the decision is I've had it with where I am. I, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't, uh, uh, I don't want to feel like this anymore. Um, uh, so some, somebody asked me the other day, said, why did you join your first business? I said, inspiration and desperation. You know, I didn't, I didn't have any future. So I was desperate to find something more than working in a factory on an assembly line. So that was, that was desperation. And I was inspired by what I saw and thought, Hey, I can, I can get rich doing this. And I finally did, but, uh, uh, took, took a little while, a little longer than I thought it was going to, but, um, but I think, you know, if you can find some purpose in your life versus just drifting through life, I mean, that's kind of a sad way to live, but, but still, no judgment. If if people want to do that, that's 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 a choice that you make. Yes, absolutely. What about prosperity, Jim? Um, and I'm kind of coming at this from a, maybe a deservedness angle. Is, is is prosperity important to us? Do you think? Well, uh, prosperity. Uh, I guess prosperity comes in a, in a lot of packages. But um, uh, if you're talking financial prosperity. Um, now, I think we're all looking for the same thing, and in a sense, we're we're looking for freedom, and uh, money money can offer that. You know, it gives you choices, um, and a lot of people think, well, you know, I, I don't I don't have money to invest, or I don't have uh, uh, I don't have the experience, or I don't have the business knowledge, or I don't have an opportunity available, or I don't you know this or that. Those are all uh, to me. Those are all excuses because. There's plenty of opportunity. Just look around the room you're in right now, and you'll see you'll see twenty, thirty, forty, fifty things that people have made millions of dollars uh, creating. So there's there's never a lack of opportunity. There's just a lack of vision, a lack of um, a desire and decision to change and be prosperous in your life. Um, and um, and I think people look at where they are instead of where they could be. It's just like do poor people um, do poor people think in poor terms? And the answer is yes, because they're poor and they're focused on survival. Um, but they could turn that around and um, and and have a vision for the future and and realize that there's plenty of opportunity out there, and you see it every single day that somebody is. You know, got rich off of some idea that you're going, darn, I should have thought of that. <laughs> but uh, prosperity is available uh, all over. And, um, you know, even in, in places where, uh, where it seems like there's no opportunity. I mean, there's opportunity to leave. There's an opportunity somebody does well. And maybe it's not as much in certain countries as others. But, uh, but still, people break out of that and make changes in their lives. So uh, it's just you know, having that desire to change. And, and, you know, it's like, if you want to be wealthy, whatever wealth is to you, it could be a million dollars, it could be enough money coming in every month to live, so that you can get up in the morning, decide what you want to do, and not what you have to do. Um, you know, once you've decided to, well, I'd, I'd say that people, um, they want to find, they want to figure out how before they make the decision to do it. And you just can't. You got to decide to do it, no matter what your circumstances are, and then uh, because once you've decided it, your view of the world changes, your view of opportunity changes, the view that the world has of you changes. So, if you want to be wealthy, if you want to be prosperous, you've got to decide to do that before before your view of the world changes, so that you see the opportunity to be able to do that, and that's that's a key key thing. Yeah, I th and I understand that, Jim. I think for me, that's kind of encapsulating what I said earlier on about the purpose. I use the word, the term beacon. Um, it's that guiding light. I am going there. I am going to reach that destination. It's not going to be easy, but and I don't know how I'm going to get there. But do you know what? That is where I'm going. Yeah. Now that's uh, that, that's key to get get more. I mean, look at anything that you've you've gotten in your life. 
And um, whether it's an education, a college degree, a new car, a new home you purchased, you decided first. You didn't just go randomly go out there and go, okay, I think I'll go get a car. Well, where do you go? Well, what kind of car do you want? Well, I've decided I want a, a BMW. Okay. Well, which BMW you want? Well, I want a 760 I, Li. And you go, okay, well, is that within my budget? Yeah. Okay. Um, $120,000. Okay. I've decided that's what I'm going to have. And and where do you go to get it? You go to the BMW dealer because that's, you've decided to have that. So it's in in anything. I mean, you (laughs) just take an automobile, for instance, there's all kinds of automobiles out there. And, and the reason people drive, uh, you know, the, the least expensive automobile they can find is not because that's what they want. It's because that's what they've decided to have. Um, or maybe they haven't decided to have anything and they, and that's all they can afford. So they've decided, well, you know, the little Chevette that costs, you know, whatever it is, um, uh, that's why they make those cars for people who don't decide and <laughs> they just take whatever they can get. <clears throat> but it's that way in life, no matter what it's, uh, not just an automobile, that's just an example. Philanthropy, Jim. Philanthropy. Do we really need to contribute to others? Well, uh, you know, I think, I think we all contribute to others, and uh, um, either as an example for others to follow or as a warning of what not to do. <laughs> so we... But we contribute in that way, whether we know it or not. It's just like if, if you have children, I have six sons. Um, some of the things I taught them, some of the things that they do that I know they picked up from me just by watching. Uh, not, not from what I said, but from what, what I did. And they watched me do it. Um, and uh, so we're all examples for, for others to follow. And um, and I've seen it seen it the other way around where you're you're an example or you're you're an example of what not to do. So um, you know, and people take on that role and and emulate the the parent that that wasn't doing the right things, that was an alcoholic or that you know uh, whatever. They just they emulate that. So we're all examples, but I think <clears throat> I think um, giving back is is important. Um, I look at everything I do as giving back, you know, am I doing it for free? No. Um, do I do some things for free? Yes. And I'm doing a fundraiser, doing a seminar for about 400 people here in my hometown uh, coming up in September. And, and uh, they're selling uh, tickets to that event and, and they're, uh, they're taking all of that money and uh, it's being donated to a, a charitable cause. So, you know, we all can give back in some way. Maybe it's give back and, you know, feeding, uh, helping feed the homeless uh, or um, you know, whatever it is that, uh, that excites you. My wife has a nonprofit foundation that she formed, formed a few years, about six years ago, to help stop child trafficking, which is a big problem in this country. So she does that for free. You know, none of the money goes to salaries or anything. It all goes to... Uh, as a charity and you don't have to, you don't, you don't have to have your own foundation. Just, just a heck a smile is, is giving back uh, when you meet somebody new. Um, Here's what I do that I I would recommend to everybody uh, as far as giving back. Anytime you meet somebody new, you know, I don't care where it is on an airplane or just in a coffee shop or in a grocery line or whatever. If you're always thinking, what can I do to help this person? What can I do to help them? Well, you don't know what you could do to help them until you start talking, until you start asking questions. You know, uh, do you live around here? What do you do? What kind of work do you do? Do you have, do you have a family? You know, that type of thing. You get in conversations with people. And I find that there's almost always a way to help somebody. Um, and if not, that's okay too. But at least the intention is there. Uh, so I think that's, uh, if we all did that, you know, whether in sales or not, instead of, you know, instead of trying to think, well, I'm going to sell this person something. Um, instead, what can you do to help them? Because if you help them, um, you know, to me in sales, a prospect is, do they have a pain 
that needs solving? Do they want to solve it? And can you help them? <laughs> and, and if you're prospecting and, and those three things, then you got a good prospect. But if you don't, then just help the person. Um, so that's giving back. So anyway, that's my philosophy. Yeah, no, I understand that, Jim. I, I mean, you've just said something at the end there, which I'd just like to, um, to sort of come in on, if I may, um, around um, what I perceive now is there is a more heart-centered approach to selling. Um, my mind kind of flips back a few years where selling could be quite aggressive. Yeah. I think what's evolved now is this more actually – um, am I aligned with this person? And, and more or less exactly what you've just said. I mean, you know, the example on a plane or wherever, talking to an old lady, a stranger, whoever, whatever, um, just that smile, can I carry your bag? That that small gesture. Now, there's no sale there. There's no nothing other than arguably selling yourself or who you are naturally anyway. But I, just from my own perspective, Jim, I've noticed that you know, in a more professional stroke corporate arena, there is this, um, dare I say, softer approach now of being perceived as as heartfelt rather than give me your money. Is I mean, would you agree with that? What's your, what's your take on that? Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I learned that early on. I was, um, I was on an airplane and um, I took the last seat on the plane and sat down beside uh, a woman. She, she struck me as maybe 90 years old. And as soon as I, as soon as my, as soon as I hit the seat, basically, she, she started talking, you know, how are you doing? And, you know, and, and just, I mean, up to that point, I was always, I always thought about sitting beside somebody and trying to sell them something, you know, cause I was in sales and, and, uh, this woman just started talking and she said, what do you do? And I told her, she said, Oh my God, what a noble profession. Oh, that's wonderful. And what all do you teach? And this and that. And we, we went on for an hour uh, during the flight and, um, then we get off the plane and she said, come with me. And she said, um, uh, and I, I didn't know what, what she meant. Come with me, just follow me. And I thought maybe she wanted me to help her with her bags or something like that, you know, because she's, you know, older woman, but very, very sharp. And um, she goes over to the payphone. This is back before cell phones. She goes to the payphone, and <clears throat> and she dials this number, and puts in her credit card and all of the stuff we had to go through back then, and uh, gets a guy on the phone. And she says, "Now, I, I, and I'm standing right beside her." She said, "I met this gentleman on the plane," and she said, uh, "You know, he's one of the sharpest guys, and he's got, you know, here's what he does, and." I'm so excited about what he does, and I just know that this will be perfect for your company and some of your employees. So I'm going to put you on the phone with him right now and let you talk to him for a minute. And she takes the phone and hands it to me. She said, "Here's this is the president of General Dynamics, wow. <clears throat> which was a company that employed, I don't know how many thousands of people, 15,000 people in Southern California. I get on the phone. I'm, I mean, I'm nervous now. <laughs> I mean, the General Dynamics, the president, and I'm talking to the guy. He invited me out to meet with him, referred me to his, uh, his director of training and called the director of training and said, I want you to meet with this guy and listen to what he has to say. They put 1,500 people through our events uh, in the next 45 days. And, and that was from, you know, not trying to sell, but just listening and, you know, guiding a, a converse, having a conversation with him. So it, it, it taught me a lot. Um, and then uh, at another experience where, where a guy gave me so many referrals, I couldn't even, I couldn't even imagine. I, I didn't count them. I had hundreds of referrals that he gave me. And I asked him later on why he gave me so many referrals. And he said, because you did such a great job with your presentation that I know that if I refer you to one of my friends, that you'll make me look good. And Man, I learned from that too. So you get referrals by deserving it, not just by wanting it or asking for it, but actually doing the right job. So I think that heart-centered uh, selling, like you said, is is uh, what people are looking for these days. Absolutely, yeah. What's the one piece of advice, Jim, you'd leave behind as your legacy? What would that be if there was just one piece? And I know there are, well, there are literally book, books full and films and videos and um and loads of stuff, but the one piece, if, if, if I could nail you to the mass metaphorically, what would that be? Well, 
you know, um, I was on a panel in front of about 3,000 people here recently, and I was asked a question, uh, what, is, what is the one thing you've learned and applied that's been the most beneficial in your life and your business? And without any hesitation, I said the ability to let go. Because, you know, we hang on to so much that's meaningless, that, that has no value to us. Uh, you know, we, we have a conflict of some kind, and then we, we keep rehashing that conflict, you know, for sometime years to come. You know, somebody, uh, uh, you know, you invest in something and you lose money and you just keep harping on it and talking about it for years and years to come. It does nobody any good whatsoever. Uh, and for sure, not you. Or you have a conflict in your relationship, or you have a relationship breakup, or you lost your money in business, or you, you know, whatever it is, it happened. And, but the key is, it's not happening now unless you bring it into now. So if you've got the ability to, to cut the tie and let it go, it doesn't mean that it's out of your memory, but you, you have no emotional charge on it, <clears throat> that you move on with your life and you let go and move on. And some things are harder to let go of than others, but, uh, but we still have to let go. Um, you know, I, I remember a woman one time that uh, she'd lost her son, and, and I can't even imagine what she was going through, but she, she had been going through it for 10 years. And, um, and she said, I, I just can't let go. And, and, I, and I, I said, have you ever thought about letting him go? And for some reason, that triggered uh, the letting go process. She just, she just was, oh, my God, I'm holding him back. Uh, and, you know, we have to, we have to disconnect. Don't, don't take life so seriously. And, and look at the things that really matter and let go of the things that don't. Uh, to me, if, if there's an action you can take to change something for the better, uh, let go first of any negativity toward that and then take action. Just like my wife's nonprofit. You know, you can get angry about the fact that there's 300,000 children every year just here in the United States that get kidnapped and put into trafficking. 300,000 a year. You can be angry about that all day long. But if you let go of that and then take action to change it, that's the key. Um, and if, there, if you've got a conflict in your life and there's no action you can take, just let it go. Just like worry. Worry takes you nowhere. Um, worry is, uh, uh, it, it's, it's a made-up story. Just like fear is a made-up story about some future event. Make up something better. You know, let go of that and, um, and, and live your, a, a more sane, stress-free life. So that would be it. Let go. And once you've decided what you want in your life, and realize this, every action you take from this point forward, once you've decided what you want, every action you take is going to move you toward it or away from it. Success at anything is that simple. If you haven't decided, then it doesn't matter. But once you've decided, everything you do from this point forward is going to move you toward it or away from it. All you have to do is ask yourself, observe yourself, and um, that's the best success tip I could give right there. Obviously, Jim, I've got the uh, the benefit of, of having worked with you previously, so I, I almost kind of knew or hoped, if I'm honest about it, that that was going to be your response. So when you alluded to, at the top of this interview, those three magic words, um, I was kind of thinking, you know, at this point when asking you for that one golden nugget, that that was it. Because for me, Jim, when... You know, I speak to people uh, in a coaching capacity. Well, not just in a coaching, but generally. And I'll say, what are the three magic, what are the three biggest words you could ever say to anybody? Uh, and this would be my legacy. And I've learned it from you. Um, and of course, you know, usually I love you. Those immortal words come forth. And for me, Jim, it would be let it go. Yeah, well, 
love is a big word. Um, one of my favorite quotes I wrote years ago is, when you do what you do with love, you'll have only what you love in your life. And your only, your only option is, is fear, uh, fear or love. And fear is friction in your thought process. It's, it's conflict and uh, it's a made up story. And, you know, one of, one of the words that uh, I wrote my first book around this word, 367 pages really about one word, and the word is resourceful. Resourceful, which defi is defined as, once again, full of source. And source is defined as where all things originate. And I also found in an in a, uh, antique bookstore in a little town called Chester, England. You've probably been there. Yeah. Um, and I looked up the word source in this old, old dictionary, and it was defined as love. And man, the lights went on for me. You know, I could understand source where all things originate. And then love is a source is defined as love. And I went, wow, all things originate in love. So you set a goal for yourself, you fall in love with it. Um, and I'm not talking about an attached form of love, but just a feeling inside you that, uh, th that you, you love the outcome that's about to happen. Now, the question then popped in my mind, well, if all things originate in love, where does fear come from? And my answer came back from myself is that love is presenting you with fear, saying, if you handle this, you'll have more of me, which is love. So if you let go of the fear, the only thing left is love. So, and... Um, and everything is based, you know, uh, all conflict is based in fear, anger, sadness. Uh, all of those are fear-based, basically. So when you let go of those things, what you have is love. And if you exist in love, you'll have only what you love in your life. Absolutely understand that. Absolutely. Okay, Jim. So as we draw to a close, is there anything that you'd like to add or throw into the pot that um, you feel would be useful by way of uh, passing on to the listeners? Well... <clears throat> um, you know, the, the, what comes to mind is, you know, when you're born, that's, that's really big stuff because you don't know, um, you don't know why you're here. There's a lot of lights come on all of a sudden. So it's like big stuff coming into this world. And when you die, nobody really knows where you're going from here. And that's pretty big stuff. But in between, uh, that's all small stuff, so don't take it too seriously because uh, you're not going to get out alive. But just live your life, enjoy it, and let go of the fears and, um, uh, you know, work toward helping others. On that positive note, very positive note, Jim, it's been a real pleasure to have spent time with you. And please accept once again my sincere gratitude for your invaluable insights. All that remains... For me now is to extend that gratitude to you, the listeners, and hope that you feel you've benefited from Jim's experience and wisdom. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Jim. Until the next time, take care and best wishes. Thanks for listening to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. Drop a line to paul at paullohearts.com with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at paullowhearts.com or any of his social media feeds under the same name. Remember, mastering life starts by embracing our hearts.